Okay. Uh, Luke 18, um, beginning in verse 1. <laughs> Then, then he, Jesus, he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now, there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while... But afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said, and shall not God, and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then they also brought infants to him, that he might touch them. When the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and don't forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Now, a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these, all these things I have kept from my youth. But when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, Who then can be saved? But he said, 
the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Then Peter said, See, we have left all and followed you. So he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they didn't know the things which were spoken. Then it happened as he was coming near Jericho that a certain blind man sat by the road begging. And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he cried out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Let's pray, guys. And then we'll... Um, Jump back into verse 1 of chapter 18. <clears throat> Father, we, <laughs> we, we pray because, um, Lord, it's you that we need. When we gather together like this, it isn't for a show or a performance So we might together commune with you and with each other. What a privilege it is to know that you are with us always. And what a comfort and boon it is for us to join with others who are trusting you and learning to trust you more. Lord, would you, would you teach us to build each other up, I pray to lean more fully on you and less on ourselves, less on the systems of the world. Lord, as we're here, guess what I really, what I want is for you to speak to us. It's not just information we need, it's you that we need. And we know that, and we have confidence that it's by your word that you do indeed dwell, commune, and speak to us, Lord. Would you please do that this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, you guys. <clears throat> Apparently you have some microphone. 
<laughs> uh, radio frequency interference or whatever. So, anyways, let's read again in verse one of of Matthew, or, or Luke, not in Matthew, <laughs> Luke chapter eighteen. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Uh, I know that we have you know a certain amount of time, but I can't go on <laughs> from <laughs> just from there. <laughs> um, this first parable that Jesus shares is that men ought to pray and not lose heart. Do you hear that? Pray and don't lose heart. It's not like it's not like I even need anything else. I mean, what else do we need to say about that, you know? Pray and don't lose heart. He's going to give us this parable as an illustration of of um, doing that. But if I move me, maybe that'll help. Yeah. It is my fault. Yeah. No, I, th- I think it's okay. Because uh, I think it's probably these wires back here and that jumbled mess I left over there and stuff. So. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> he spoke a parable to them that the men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Remember last week I read to you from... First uh, Thessalonians. I love First Thessalonians because, um, among other reasons, there are at least two very specific places where First Thessalonians says, "This is the will of God for you," right? And sometimes people are like, "What's God's will for me?" Right? And the first one in First Thessalonians is Paul saying, "God's will for you is that you keep your body in sexual purity," right? That <laughs> we flee sexual morality. This is God's will for us. We know this is what God wants for us, right? That each one of us know how to control our bodies, right? Um, not in passion of lust like those who don't know the Lord, right? So uh, that's one thing. And then the, the last thing is that uh, he said that we ought to give thanks in everything. That's uh, uh, part of First um, Thessalonians, First um, Thessalonians chapter five, right? So I want to read that, read that section again. I might have to use the other mic. <laughs> It might be my haircut. <laughs> so aerodynamic. <laughs> oh, is that what it is? The the RF chip injection? Yeah. <laughs> oh my. All right. Hello. I'll just talk like this the rest of the... Good evening, everyone. I'm not going to throw it. I thought about it. (laughs) All right. All right. Everybody can hear me? Okay. No? Yes? Yes? No? No? Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. We'll, we'll figure it out. Okay. <clears throat> uh, he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying there was in a certain city a judge who didn't fear God nor regard man. Before I go on with this parable, I do want to say a couple of things. One is that Jesus is obviously encouraging us to pray and not lose heart. Uh, in fact, it plainly says that, right, in the text, right? So uh, 
the idea, hopefully it's clear enough, that um, God wants us to talk to him and to keep doing it, right? Um, it's interesting that Luke writes that we should not lose heart. <sighs> if there is no God, then uh, as the rest of the world views us, we are fools talking to the air when we pray, right? Just right doesn't make sense to somebody who doesn't believe um, God, right? <clears throat> we ought to pray and not lose heart. I mentioned to you that passage uh, in First Thessalonians chapter five, and oh, I guess I can just the wonders of technology. I can just like, click on the thing right here and pull it up. Anyways, um, part of that section there in First Thessalonians five. Uh, verses 16 um, through 18. 18 is the main one that we focused on last week where Paul says, this is also the will of God for you that you give thanks in everything, right? So if somebody's like, what is God's will for me? Should I buy this car, take that job or do this thing? Like, I don't know. Just, you know, use wisdom and pray and and uh, talk to people around you, you know, <laughs> and make the best choice you can. Uh, but these are things that I know are God's will for you, that you live in sexual purity and uh, and that you give thanks in everything, which means like if you take the job and you crash and burn, just give thanks anyways. <laughs> Lord, you're still with me, you know, because uh, uh, it doesn't mean that uh, obviously this doesn't mean that everything's going to work out in whatever way you thought it was going to. In fact, um, Jesus said in this world, we will have tribulation. Some of it is normal because everybody faces trouble, right? We're all descendants of Adam. So everybody faces trouble. Uh, you're not like being singled out with the difficulties in your life. Everybody faces difficulties, man. Um, and then uh, for you and I who follow Jesus, there can be uh, particular tribulations related to that. Less so, it seems, in our culture than in some other cultures, obviously, right? Where there, uh, where there may be more direct uh, persecution uh, than there is um, for us here. Um, somebody might like not call you or something here. You know what I mean? Like that's the persecution we face. You know what I mean? Whereas in some places, you know, maybe in the Middle East or other places, like they'll, they, you might get killed. Here it's like somebody finds out you're a Christian and like certain things you stand for or don't like or whatever or, or don't agree with, then they might not like call you back or something. <laughs> you know, like they may not be your friend. <laughs> that's, that's your persecution here. Uh, anyway, so, um, we always ought to pray um, and not lose heart, Jesus said. Part of that passage um, in First Thessalonians 5, I mentioned the part we focused on last week, but um, verse 16 says, rejoice always. Verse 17 says, pray without ceasing. Uh, you know, we, we use this uh, Hebrew word, amen, right? sort of as the end to our prayers. Um, and that's fine. It's a word that means so be it or let it happen, right? Or let this be true, that sort of idea. And that's why often we say it together, right? We say amen together because it's us agreeing together about something in prayer. Um, it's not really the end of your communion with God, right? It's not really the end of your, your talking to the Lord. Um, any moment, Without hesitation, your attention can be turned uh, to the heavens, right? And I think it's wise and good to remember that. Um, you don't have to go to a priest. <laughs> you, you can talk to the Father 
through Jesus, right? It's because of him that we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, right? Um, and I think that we would do well to do that. I found myself, I have found myself, you know, in, in moments, most of the time in moments of trouble. <laughs> I'm like, Lord, help. Uh, I want to be more cognizant in, in other times as well, obviously. But um, even if I am having a disagreement with my spouse, <laughs> uh, uh, saying, Lord, Lord, help me, help me to humble myself, you know, uh, in, in those, uh, those moments, um, or, or with my children, uh, they just know exactly where buttons are and like, they can just hit the same one and I love them <laughs> and they are teaching me to be patient. <laughs> um, Whatever it is, uh, we can pray, you know. Uh, as I've mentioned before, you know, in those moments, like when the ultrasound tech says, I can't find a heartbeat, you know, you say, Lord, help. <laughs> Lord, help me. <clears throat> pray always. Pray without ceasing. We could go on for days talking about um, much of these teachings related to prayer. Um, but what I want to focus on, obviously, is is our, our passage here in Luke 18. So the parable that Jesus uses is one of the parables that I want to use to remind you of something about parables. Parables are given primarily to illustrate one general overarching point. Sometimes people break down every little detail in a parable and they try and make it mean some specific thing. And sometimes they just don't, right? Jesus defines for us a, a few of the parables that he gave. He gives us definitions for what the, the uh, characters or things in the parable represent, um, particularly, particularly the parable of the sower and the seed. Um, he um, gives us the definitions for that, for what the parts of that parable represent. Uh, but this one, if you take this parable and you're like, uh, wait a minute, because Jesus is saying that we always ought to pray, but the illustration he's using is about an unjust judge and about a woman who keeps asking him for something, right? And he's saying, this is, a, this is an illustration of why you should keep praying. <laughs> like, wait a minute. Is he teaching us that God is like the unjust judge? No, right? Like this is the, right? So like this is why we need to be careful. And sometimes people take parabolic stories and they make up some weird doctrinal things about them. And I want to remind you as you're learning and growing in the scriptures, it's important that we, when we're embracing a teaching, an idea, a truth, that we are as thorough as we can, that we look for it in the teachings of Jesus. We look for it, if we can, in the book of Acts, which is a record of the the uh, early travels of some of the apostles in the early church. And then we also look for it in Paul's teaching or in the teaching of the other apostles that we have recorded for us, right? Um, because sometimes people make up weird stuff and they will sometimes pull it from parables or some of the stories Jesus told. And they're like, well, this means this and this means the other. And I'm like... I don't know. It seems like, you know, shaky ground um, sometimes. But 
this one would make God look really bad. <laughs> like, why would, if I were thinking as a like teacher of an illustration to give you to say you should pray more and you should keep praying, I wouldn't have picked this one. <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't have. It just looks weird, right? So it's important that we recognize that parables are given to us typically to illustrate one general overarching idea most of the time, right? So, um, and this one does that. That, and it does it very well, obviously. So, um, verse two says, uh, as we read some of verse two says, saying, "There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. He had no respect for people. He basically just didn't care about anything." Now, there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, "Get justice for me from my adversary." So she asks him uh, to do what a judge should do, to get justice for her, right? Um, the idea of justice certainly being um, vengeance or equality for some harm suffered. Get justice for me from my adversary. And verse 4 says, he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her. It's such a weird story. It's like this lady just keeps on and on and on and on. I guess I'll help her. <laughs> you know? Yeah, because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. <laughs> this is not a good dude, right? Do you get that? Like the judge in the story is not a great dude. He's, he doesn't really have any fear of God. He doesn't really care about people. Um, um, obviously, this is not the type of person I would really want to have in that role, right, as a judge. Um, but this is the illustration Jesus is giving about um, to teach us to pray and not to lose heart. As Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. In the story, the judge decides to help because she continues to ask. Right? Jesus continues in verse 6, Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect? I just want to stop right there. And I want you to, I want to draw your attention to the fact that Jesus is now actually giving us a contrast between the unjust judge and God. He's saying, in the story I told you, this unjust judge was willing to help this lady. And he's a bad guy. The judge is terrible. And he was willing to do for this person what was right. And shall not God, do you get the contrast there? Even the unjust judge was willing to do what was right eventually, right? Because he's like, she's just bothering me, you know? (laughs) I'm just going to help her, right? Because she keeps on bothering me. And shall not God, if even the unjust judge is willing to do do what is right eventually, you've got to understand that God loves you enough that he's going to, that he hears you, Right? That's the idea here. He's drawing this contrast between God and the unjust judge. God isn't like the unjust judge, but the unjust judge still did what was right eventually. But you should pray and you should not lose heart because God is hearing you. That's the idea. And he's not like the unjust judge, but you should keep asking. Um... Shall not God, or shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? When Paul writes, or Peter, I'm sorry, when Peter writes in his epistles, 
that a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day to the Lord. I don't like it. Because my view of time is <laughs> not infinite. <laughs> right? It isn't like that. To me, a day is a day and a thousand years is a thousand years. And the Lord's like, no, I'm just going to wait a day to answer that. That's like a thousand years to him. <laughs> just a day. <laughs> time is not the same to the one who himself created time, who is not subject to, um, to this continuum that we are. He is not matter. He is not made of matter like we are and therefore subject to time and space as, as we are in those three things being um, linked together, time, space, and matter. So you should pray and you should keep praying. I believe one of the reasons why God wants us to do this is that he knows something else happens when we pray too. There is, I've found frequently, such... In, in the moment when I bow my heart to the Lord and I turn my attention to him, my attention comes off of whatever the immediacy of the circumstance I'm in is. It comes off of that, and, and I become in that moment more aware of something bigger than the thing that I'm actually praying about. And, and I found time after time after time that even in, in the simplest prayers, that God gives me peace, even in the middle of whatever trouble I'm facing, when I turn my attention to him. Sometimes I don't do that, and I'm full of <laughs> fear. <laughs> uh, because my attention is, is on circumstances, or on something that, that I don't think will work out, or something I've made up. Uh, I grew up with my mom listening to motivational speakers a lot. So I heard a lot of Zig Ziglar back in the day, right? So I remember one of the things he used to say was he defined fear as false evidence appearing real. And, uh, and, and I think that there's some reality to that. A lot of the things that we're afraid of are things that we think might happen. And so we, we are gripped by fear because if we think we, what we think might happen, but it's really just something we've made up in our head. We've speculated about it and, and, um, chosen to embrace thoughts that were maybe more negative than positive because there are also positive things that could happen in most of our circumstances that we think of and uh, the question then is which which thoughts are we entertaining you know at times so anyhow um, let me make it clear that there's something beyond all of that anyways I don't want to suggest to you that all you need to do is think positively about things for the Christians who were about to lose their heads in the first century, positive thinking didn't help them. But there is peace that passes understanding because the kingdom of, of God is not um, eating and drinking, but righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. But you don't know until you know. That seems like an obvious thing to say, right? I don't know how God can meet me in, in the moment of, of grief until I'm in the moment of grief and he meets me. And so I might be afraid of it before it happens, but he's there. He's there. Even before I'm there, he's there because he knows and he knows it's coming. Pray. 
pray and don't lose heart. (laughs) Verse 8 says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? I don't really like that. (laughs) Why did Jesus say that? I don't know. Maybe that's a challenge for me. (laughs) Jason, will you keep believing? Will you keep trusting? Will you keep praying? It is something else, too. It's a promise that he's coming. Okay, so when the Son of Man comes. um, Some... um, there are some circles that suggest that um, that he's not coming back, that he's not coming again. It just none of that obviously is really supported by anything the apostles taught or were looking for. They constantly kept this idea in front of them, this idea of the resurrection, uh, not just of Jesus' resurrection, but of their own, whether it was through death or through translation, whatever we want to call that. Uh, again, we read some of that last week. First um, Corinthians 15, for your reference, First Corinthians 15 and First Thessalonians 4, Paul talks a lot about, about those ideas in a moment being changed in the twinkling of an eye, our body being changed. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? I don't know. Lord, will you <laughs> help me? To... <laughs> I found myself saying, Lord, help me to trust you so that you do. <laughs> so that you do find faith on the earth, Lord. Also, verse 9, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Which, by the way, this is the, in the book of uh, Galatians, um, Paul talks about this idea being one of the reasons why, um, uh, um, also in the book of Romans, Paul talks about this idea being why many of the Jews didn't receive the gift of righteousness through faith in Jesus. Because they were trying to establish their own righteousness. That is, they looked at the law or the traditions and they said, we can do these things. And of course, the the Old Testament agreement, that covenant was, if you do these things, you'll live. right? And they had lots of traditions that had been passed on uh, through the Talmud and the Mishnah, um, the traditions of the elders, in addition to Moses, in addition to the Tanakh, right, or the law, right? Um, so they were trying to establish their own righteousness by getting the list of rules and saying, I'm doing a pretty good job keeping them, and therefore I'm righteous, right? And if we do that, essentially what it produces in us is pride, because I'm doing the good things and all these other losers aren't, uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> um <laughs> They trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they despised others. So glad this doesn't happen amongst Christians. But we do need to genuinely ask this question, right? We do have to examine ourselves to see whether we are actually in the faith. Because the truth is, there are many people, Jesus said, many people come to him on that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these wonderful things in your name? And his response will be, I, I don't know you. Depart from me, workers of iniquity. I don't know, I don't know you. Which tells us that there will be people who think they know, but who don't know him, right? There can be a deception there. And it seems that if the gospel message is as Paul defines, 
his message, which is very, very, very simple in 1 Corinthians 15, the very beginning of 1 Corinthians 15. Um, Paul says, this is the message he received that he passed on to others, that the Messiah died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead according to the scriptures. In Romans chapter 10, Paul says, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart, what? That God raised him from the dead. We shall be saved. If we change or add, or if, even if an angel of heaven says something else has to be done for us to be saved, they're liars, right? It's such a simple truth. And God has chosen through the foolishness of preaching to save some, right? It's crazy to go into the world and say, God will rescue you from sin and death. If you'll believe him, believe what? That he sent the Messiah Jesus to die for your sins, that he was buried and raised from the dead. If you'll believe him, he'll say he'll rescue you. Right? Like, oh, <laughs> well, that's dumb. Shouldn't I have to do something? <laughs> well, believe him. If we want to call that a thing we do. But when we have the list of rules... And we do our best to keep the rules, and then we look down on others. <laughs> we despise others. This is one of the problems with teaching uh, morality, Christian morality, especially to our children. It's one of the things that frustrates me about children's ministry sometimes, is that it seems like what's focused on a lot is um, moral teachings over against the gospel. Right? Be good, kids. This attitude is a good attitude to have, knowing full well. You know full well that they can't have that, not apart from the gift of grace given in Jesus. You don't have that apart from him. Right? We like try and teach our kids moral lessons without them having the Spirit of God to give them life inside of them. Oh, they need to rely on Jesus. They need to believe the gospel. Because when they receive his spirit, when they believe the good news of Jesus, God gives them his spirit. And the promise of Jeremiah 31, right? The promise of the new covenant is that God will do what with his law and his will? He will write it where? In our hearts and in our minds. And no one will say to one another, know the Lord, because everybody in the new covenant will know the Lord <laughs> from the least of them to the greatest of them, right? Like that's the promise of the new covenant. And that's why we rest on this and we say in our songs, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Jesus spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And we ought to examine ourselves to see whether or not we're trusting in our own moral abilities and our obedience to whether what we believe or perceive to be laws or traditions as the basis or the ground by which we have access to God. Because if you think that your obedience to God is what gives you access to God, then I dare say you have fallen from grace. It is only the blood of Jesus that brings us near to him. And you can't do better than him. (laughs) But that's why it's good news. Because I'm not sitting here giving you a list of rules saying, if you do all of these things, then God will accept you. Instead, we say, you failed. Good news. (laughs) Jesus paid it all. (laughs) Come and receive the gift of grace. This is the parable he spoke. I love this parable. I love it so, so much. One of my favorite parables. Also horrible because I've I've definitely heard these kinds of prayers from the first guy. I've heard these prayers before. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Remember the Pharisees 
while the Pharisees were not in the first century the primary uh, religious group uh, who were serving in the temple itself, that was the Sadducees uh, who ran most of the, the temple services at the time, the Pharisees were teachers of the law. They were respected in the community as such. They held, as Jesus said, they sat in the seat of Moses. It was their responsibility to commend to the people the word of God. And Jesus, they were the most frequent people that Jesus attacked. Can I say it? Jesus attacked people? <laughs> I mean, uh, he had some very strong words <laughs> for them. <laughs> um, so, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was seen as the religious person teaching the law, teaching the, the will of God. The tax collector was seen as a criminal to many, seen as someone who is betraying his own countrymen by working for the oppressive Roman authorities over them, collecting taxes for the Roman authorities, right? This is one of the things that's interesting about the fact that um, that Matthew, who was a tax collector, even though he, he left that to follow Jesus, Matthew, Levi, um, that he was one of Jesus' inner 12, as well as Simon Zelotes, Simon the Zealot, because the Zealots were willing to, to murder people in order to fight against Roman oppressors, you know, uh, whereas Matthew was working for the Roman um, um, leaders and government. So anyways... Uh, very interesting uh, thing. Jesus is able to bring together those who wouldn't ne necessarily naturally be together. And it's one of the wonderful things about his kingdom, right? Is that he is making a people for himself of every tribe and nation and tongue. And why we should never look down on or despise others who are different. In fact, we ought to embrace each other, fully <laughs> embrace each other and celebrate our differences in our cultures. The wonderful um, different ways that we are in our different languages and traditions as we follow Jesus together. Well, continuing, these two men, the Pharisee and the tax collector, went up to the temple to pray. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. I don't know why exactly Jesus said prayed thus with himself, but I think it's apropos. Guy's just talking to himself, man. <laughs> he just he's he's just talking to himself. <laughs> He stood and prayed thus with himself, God, <laughs> sorry, I, I'm like, I feel like there, there's like character in this, you know, God, I, uh, sorry, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector, right? Because they both went up to the temple to pray, right? It's tax collectors there in, in Jesus' illustration, in his parable here. I mean, that's just, obviously, you, you get the arrogance, right, of this guy. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so proud I'm not like any of these terrible people. Again, it brings me great joy to know that there's no one in the church of Jesus that ever thinks like this about themselves. Or rather that I have. You know, sometimes you hear things that you're like, why criticism about outsiders about um, people involved in particular 
um, sinful um, lifestyles or activities. And we think with arrogance, I'm so glad I'm not like them, Lord. Those people out there. And it is caustic. Arrogant. Pride. One of the things that it's so easy for us to do in our churches is focus on external activities. Like this guy says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. It is easy to focus on external, what you think of as obedient activities while neglecting the wickedness in your heart. Pride, envy, jealousy, bitterness, and unforgiveness. It's those things that God would deal with in us. It doesn't matter to me if somebody comes into a church building and gathers with Jesus Church and dances around and sings the songs and speaks in tongues and does all of the things and gives 10% of their income and then thinks themselves better than others. It doesn't matter to me that they do any of those other things if they go and they don't love their neighbor. None of it matters. That's true for me. <laughs> Even as I read this and I think about some of the, some of the frankly horrible things I've heard spoken of others, <laughs> even in church um, or amongst Christians or Christian groups. Um, if I, even in talking about that, if I put myself in the category of like, again, us versus them, then I'm doing the same thing. Because <laughs> I'm saying, well, I'm glad I'm not like them. Even those Christians who act like that. I'm just guilty again. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. The tax collector said this, standing afar off, he would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Another place where we have this reminder of the upside-down nature of God's kingdom. In the world system, in the things that work in the system of men around us, it is that you fight for what is yours, you elevate yourself. You, I recently had to write a resume, and it was weird. It was weird. And I got feedback on it, and my feedback was, you haven't written a resume in a long time, have you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't. <laughs> you know, because they're like, and I remember one time I was speaking at a men's conference, and they were like, write up, write up a little thing for us to put in the brochure for the men's conference for you. And I'm like, no. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Solomon said, let another man praise you. Like, what? <laughs> what am I gonna... <laughs> Jason... We'll be here. <laughs> <That's> the... 
I'm nothing. Remember what Paul said in First Corinthians? He, he who plants is nothing. He who waters is nothing, but it's God who gives the increase. If you benefit at all from sitting, listening to what we're doing, it's because God benefited you, not because of me. The best thing any person teaching can do, whether it's me or you teaching your children or your friends or your neighbors, the best thing you can do is just to be faithful to what God has said. And then just say, I'm an unprofitable servant. I just did what was expected of me. I just told people what God said. It's God who gives life. And I'm thankful he does. <laughs> <clears throat> but also means I can rely on him to do that. It really takes a lot of the pressure off me, <laughs> as long as I'm being faithful to, to my best to say what he says, right? That's why I'm thankful for the scriptures. <laughs> God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I still think when we see the kingdom in its fullness, there's going to be a lot of surprises. We're going to see the, you know, some of the people that maybe had huge platforms and lots of followers that we thought were like the jam. Do people say that anymore? Probably not. I don't care. They're like <laughs> people thought were like great, you know. Uh, we're going to see them in a different place in the kingdom than the person who just week after week after week showed up early to pray and to clean the buildings was just faithful to do good stuff and love their family and didn't seek prominence or honor, but just did, did well. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. Uh, well, we better finish. <laughs> Shouldn't we? <laughs> Then they also brought infants to him that he might touch them. All right, I'm going to try and go a little faster now. I've taken a lot of time in the early part of the this chapter. So interesting thing about the word infants is that in, in um, some of the ancient Greek, in, in the way that this word is used, remember the New Testament was written in Koine Greek, which is just a way of saying common Greek, the common Greek language of the first century. Um, Koine means common. Um, so one of the things that I find interesting about this is that the word infants was used both to, this one word, uh, I believe it's brefos, was used to refer both to little, t small children, what you and I think of as infants, but also unborn children. <gasps> the same word. Imagine the harm that could be done if we just call unborn children a different word and say they're not the same. But it doesn't matter. We should love our neighbor regardless. <clears throat> they also brought infants to him that he might touch them. One of the most um, one of the groups in society that is marginalized in many societies, more than any other group, our children. And so we say, Lord, what are the ways that we can help? 
<laughs> Let us put hands and feet to that love, right? <laughs> what does it look like to support mothers? What does it look like to, to support fathers and families and children? What does it look like to provide necessities, not just during pregnancy, but after? <laughs> to be present. It might cost me some money. <gasps> to help, right? <laughs> oh, no. They also brought infants to him that he might touch them. The disciples weren't real thrilled about it. <laughs> I love the disciples so much. <laughs> when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. It's like even with even with the thing like children's ministry, it's like one of those things that it's hard because sometimes we don't see it as important, you know. We don't see it as that big of a deal thing. It's hard sometimes to to find the motivation to say, Lord, let me do that. One of the things that I've found incredibly rewarding is teaching the Bible to children. I've been able to teach at our homeschool co-op Bible classes, and I just, I love it so much. It's so good. Let the little children come to me, he said. Well, uh, I skipped a little bit. When the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. <laughs> like, let me bring my little children to you. And G the disciples are like, get those kids out of here. You know. Uh, <laughs> some have argued that this is, you know, a reason not to have a separate children's ministry, but just to have the kids in here with us. And it's not like there's anything wrong with that, per se. Um, my wife might have a hard time because <laughs> we have four kids under 10 and I'm up here and she'd be trying to wrangle them, you know. Um, so, so some of the idea that we have is saying, how can we help parents? Uh, because I believe that it is not the children's ministry, children's ministry's responsibility primarily to be teaching your children uh, the way of Jesus. It's your responsibility to be teaching them the way of Jesus. So if I can teach you the way of Jesus, with a few less distractions, <laughs> then my hope is that you would be more equipped, well-equipped to then, uh, then take what you're learning and teach it to your children. Um, because uh, one hour, we have this weird thing where people have thought for years that sending their kids to the children's ministry for an hour or two on Sunday morning was all the spiritual training they needed. And then we don't do anything at home. And there's no no focus on the word of God. There's no reading. There's no prayer. There's no there's no singing together. Like what we do here, you should emulate that at home. Just do the same thing. <clears throat> but I don't know how to sing. Fine. Just make weird noises. Then you know your voice is not great. It's fine. Just do it. Good thing to do is to establish that even before you have kids because it's just harder to start when you have kids. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? If you don't have any kiddos yet. So. Let, Jesus said this, uh, verse 16. Jesus called them to him. The disciples rebuked these kids, uh, rebuked the people who brought the infants. Jesus called them to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. And if I don't... know exactly what that means. But I know they used to sacrifice babies in the Valley of Tophet. 
outside of the city of Jerusalem. I believe that God is good. I know that when David's first child with Bathsheba was dying, even after the baby died, David said, um, he will not return to me, but I will go to him. I've had two children lost in the womb. I believe they are real, full human beings that I will see one day in the kingdom. History is rife with death of children (laughs) from various causes. Um, Jesus is going to use these little children as an illustration for us. Let the little children come to me and don't forbid them for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. The last class I taught our co-op, uh, I was teaching them the gospel uh, from 1 Corinthians 15. Paul's three main things. Messiah died for our sins, was buried and raised from the dead. And um, and I said the only question, particularly to the older class that I have, which are the um, third through sixth graders, I said, hey, the only question then about this is whether or not you believe it to be true. Do you believe him? And every, I love the kids because they all shouted, yes, you know, because it's what they do. You know, they want to. They want to do what is what's right or what appears right, you know. They want to please you, you know. And I said, "Listen, guys, um, God knows what's really in our hearts, and you have to do business with Him, you know. So you talk to Him about it, you know." But I love that with enthusiasm. They're like, "Yes, yes, <laughs> we believe this," you know. Um, uh, would to God that some of them do, that all of them do. <laughs> Yes, that was the goal. That was the reason I was teaching the class. I want them to believe. (laughs) Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. I said I was going to speed up, didn't I? That didn't happen. Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This is, by the way, if we can pull everything into the immediacy of the context, this brings us back to, you'll see a couple of themes here. Uh, this brings us back to like the guy who was thought himself righteous, right? And who was uh, praying the way that he prayed, all arrogantly and all of that stuff, praying with himself or whatever. So this brings us back to that sort of idea here. And then Jesus using the children as this illustration, the children just believe his word. They just believe him, Right? And so, like, that's the kind of faith. That's what he's calling us to, is to be like little children who just believe what they're told. My kids have believed some weird stuff over the years that I've had to correct. I'm like, why do you think that's true? Because I saw it on TV. I'm like, well, <laughs> like, <laughs> stop believing everything. <laughs> like, trying to teach my kids, like, be, be skeptical. <laughs> be more skeptical. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Examine evidence. <laughs> you know. Uh, anyways. Um, test things. Um, uh, anyway, so you'll see these themes. Now, a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, what, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. Um, some have said this is Jesus claiming that he wasn't God. I think it's exactly the opposite. I think he's just saying, You understand who you're speaking to? <laughs> the only person who's good is, is God. You called me good. <laughs> So he continues, verse 20, you know the commandments, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. This is five of the commandments. 
um, guy's response. He said, all these things I've kept from my youth. I'm a good little boy. <laughs> I, I haven't committed adultery. I haven't murdered, haven't stolen, haven't borne false witness. It's lying, you know. Um, I've honored my father and my mother. It's the idea here. He's saying, I've, I've kept all of this stuff, you know. Remember that Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount that um, though Moses said, uh, you, shall not, you, shouldn't, you shall not commit adultery in the law, Jesus said, if you look at someone with lust in your heart, you're guilty, right? Though the law said, um, you shall not murder, uh, Jesus said, if you're angry at your brother without a just cause, without, without cause, then you're guilty of the council. And you're like, oh. Well, that's a little different, right? <laughs> Remember, this is what we're getting at. It's not just the external act that's the problem. It is the desire in your heart. That's where our problem lies. And that's why we need to be born from above, or another way to say that is born again, right? Because God wants to put his life inside of us, to give us new life, right? So he continues, um, <clears throat> he said, Verse 21, all these things I kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Interestingly, the things that Jesus asked him if he had obeyed are commandments that relate to a person's relationship to other people. It's none of the commands. Uh, he didn't ask him about the commands that relate to his relationship to God. And it seems like that was the issue here. And this man likely trusted in his riches. It seems obvious to me that he did because when he hears Jesus say, just sell your stuff and come follow me, all it did was make him sad. He didn't say, sure, let's go. <laughs> what you said is true. Let's go. You're the Lord. Let's do it. His confidence was in uh, his riches, certainly, at least to some degree. The love of riches certainly is the root of all kinds of of evil, as um, Paul would write later. When Jesus heard that, uh, when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, Jesus ran after him and said, Oh, I was just kidding. You don't really have to sell everything. That was just hyperbole. <laughs> That's what we do, isn't it? Like when we're trying to like, I want you to follow Jesus, but I don't want to make it too hard. See, following Jesus means you lose everything. That is, you lose power over everything. You didn't really have that power anyways, and that's kind of the trick. (laughs) You just thought you did, but it's an illusion. But it's you willingly letting it all go so that when he takes something, he takes it, and you say, God is still good. God is good. And what you find is that he is more than enough for any of the things that you lose anyways. He's essentially going to say that in just a second here to the disciples. Um, When the guy heard this, he became very sorrowful because he was very rich. When Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he didn't run after him and make it easier. He didn't explain that this was just hyperbole and he didn't actually have to sell everything. Because for some of us, maybe the Lord is telling you to sell everything. I remember when Isaac and Clea, uh, my friends who are in uh, East Africa, when they moved, I remember them coming and saying, we just think God wants us to sell everything and move to Africa. And they did. 
and just what a, what an example of just we just want to follow Jesus. They've been there for ugh, like I don't know, 15 years now. It's amazing, wonderful. Moved to a couple. They've been in Kenya and also Uganda. They just recently moved to a new place that is like this, like college. It's it's amazing what God is doing. They're training up native pastors to go out into villages and and to just bring the good news of Jesus. And there's so many people that are just they've never heard this message before. We are so spoiled. <laughs> so many people who've never heard this good news of Jesus. Um, it really is fun to to watch. If you want to, you can follow their stuff on the internet if you want to. Uh, I can, if you want to follow them, I can let you know how. Um, anyways. When Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. Oh, Americans don't like that, do they? It is hard if you have riches to enter God's kingdom. He's just making a statement of fact. How hard it is. Why? It's so easy for us to trust in what we see with our eyes. That number in the bank account. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. <laughs> I've said before. Um, the, I heard this story one time from a pastor. I think I've heard it from a couple pastors now that were like, there used to be this little tiny gate inside the bigger gate that was called the needle gate. And if your camel was going to go through it, he had to take the load off and go down on his knees and get in it. Listen to me. I've never found one place where there's ever actually any evidence of anything like that. So I don't know. Some of these stories that that us preachers use, I've learned over the years that some of them are just made up. And that's horrible. Horrible. But if I hear one pastor say it, I trust that guy. So I just repeat it sometimes. That's not good, right? you got to look for, hey, check your primary sources, right? <laughs> go, go back. Find out if it's true or not. Is it true? I don't know. If it is, I just have not been able to find any evidence of it being true. But as uh, and the fact that the fact that that's that I can't find the evidence for it actually makes the saying much worse. <laughs> How do you get a camel through the eye of a needle? Uh, Giller when used to say the only way is to grind him up real fine. <laughs> squeeze, squeeze him through. <laughs> right? The whole point is that it's not possible, right? You can't do it. You can't get a, a camel through the eye of a needle, which is where Jesus is going. Those who heard it said, who then can be saved? Do you hear the theology that they believed? Jesus is saying it's really hard for rich people to enter the kingdom. But their internal belief is that rich people are pleasing to God and therefore are God's people. That's why they have riches. That's evidence of their obedience to God because there was this false prosperity type belief that they had. Oh, I'm so glad that doesn't happen anymore. <sighs> they, they embrace this false idea that if you're right with God, then good things are always going to happen to you and you're going to have riches and, and health and prosperity and, and everything's going to work out your way and you're going you're gonna, to you know, pray for this to be healed and it's always going to happen or whatever. And it just... 
It's a deception that has caused a lot of heartache for many people over the years. And that was their theology, such that when Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into his kingdom, they were like, whoa, wait a minute, who can be saved then? Like that was their response was like, who in the world is even able to be saved if even the rich people can't be saved? Like, what if we had that kind of thought, right? <laughs> like, like, if even the rich people can't be saved, then who can be saved? He said, the things which are impossible with men <laughs> are possible with God, which is what? Any of us being saved. It's all impossible. You can't save yourself. That's the point. But that which is impossible with men is, in fact, possible with God. Think back, rehearse in your mind the history of Israel. So many things that were impossible, but God did. The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. And Peter said, see, we've went, this is following on the heels of that. Remember, he told the guy to sell everything he had and come follow him. Now this is Peter's response, right? Because that the rich guy was like, I'm just really sad and went away sorrowful. We find another in another one of the Gospels. Okay, Peter's response to this interchange is to address the Lord and say, Lord, we, we did it. We gave everything. What are we going to get? <laughs> right? That's, I mean, it's what he's saying, right? <laughs> See, we've left all and followed you. <laughs> he's like, look what we've done. <laughs> I can't help but see in this some of that um, Pharisee praying. Look at me, I'm better than this person or that person. <laughs> so he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, there's no one who's left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God. It might sound weird. I don't think it needs to. There have been many people, even today, when they embrace the good news of Jesus, their family turns away from them. Spouses leave. Children turn their backs on parents. Parents turn their backs on children. It still happens. And this is what he's referring to. There's no one who's left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time. This is both a comfort to me and a challenge. It's a comfort to me because I found it to be true and I, re I trust that it is. Whenever the Lord takes something from me or I suffer some particular thing uh, because I'm following Jesus, I trust that, that wherever I go, that I have family. If my family leaves me, then I have family in, in Jesus who will embrace me, part of his kingdom. So I find comfort in that. But I also find a challenge. Am I being neighborly, right? Am I being that way? Some of us have, have suffered trouble from our families because we want to follow Jesus. Am I willing to be a father to the fatherless? Am I willing, um, am I willing to be a brother to those who've had brothers or friends turn away from them because they want to follow Jesus now? Am I willing to be a friend? Am I willing to step into that role and be the very thing, the fulfillment of the promise that Jesus gives to those who, who have to forsake something or have to leave it because they've decided to follow Jesus? And so what this brings us to is the, the role that we have as the church, as the community of followers of Jesus together, the family of God, and how we work together and serve each other and live our lives together.
Lord, give us wisdom in how we can do that well. That is what I pray. Who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. It seems like sometimes there's this big, there's like a downplay on talking about eternal life and on the eternality of God's kingdom in some Christian circles, and I just don't understand it. It it, it seems like there's a big focus on, like, well, we've got to do everything now, and we've got to focus on all this work now, and and I don't think that we should neglect that. But one of the things that I believe kept the early followers of Jesus able to serve and sacrifice now and to give up what they had for the benefit of others— was the fact that they knew there was an eternal kingdom that they were headed for. And I think that if we if we neglect that emphasis, then it seems to me that what we will find is a greater emphasis on, on focusing on what we're losing now. And that puts me in a place of not wanting to sacrifice <laughs> to help you, of not wanting to get up, give up what I have. Okay, But I think that if our, our focus is more on that eternal resurrection kingdom, then it puts me in the place of being able to say with confidence, I can give up what I have now because I believe there's something better. I'm searching for a city whose builder and maker is God. Not the kingdoms of men, but God. A place where he makes all things new and he makes everything right. You see, the world longs for that deep in our hearts. I think many people do. (laughs) But the way we're trying to get there is all messed up. (laughs) What we need is the king. (laughs) The king has returned, right? That will happen one day. (laughs) Sorry, I had to throw a little Lion King at you. Um, last couple of things here and we'll wrap up he took the twelve aside and said to them behold we are going up to Jerusalem and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the son of man will be accomplished for he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon and they will scourge him and kill him and the third day he will rise again but they understood none of these things this saying was hidden from them and they did not know the things which were spoken this is like Luke saying Jesus told them about what was happening what was going to happen but they just weren't there They just didn't get it. And I find that to be true sometimes as I've learned and been a part of the church and growing in God's word. People have said things like in in teachings or from the word. And I've been like, what? (laughs) And then like years later, I come back to that and I'm like, oh, that's what that was about. (laughs) Um, For additional reference, I commend to you Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 at the very least that you read those two, they're very particular prophecies about the suffering of Jesus. Um, uh, And so I commend those to you in your own study. Um, Last little section here. Then it happened as he was coming near Jericho that a certain blind man sat by the road begging and hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by and he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before him or those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. 
And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. What shall we say? What shall we say about this last interchange? Well, of all the things we've talked about today, that sounded great, right? (laughs) Of all the things we've talked about today, (laughs) we'll close on this. You ought to pray and not lose heart. Just like this guy, he asked, Son of David, have mercy on me. Even when he was told, you know, stop, he kept on. I want you to pray and I don't want you to lose heart. You may not see the answer to your prayers today. You might not see it tomorrow or next week or next year. You might not see it 10 years from now or 30 years from now. I don't know. You know, Kelly and I, um, early on in our marriage, we uh, we took about a year after we got married um, to not try to have children. And then we tried to have children after that. And we couldn't for like eight eight years or something or like nine years couldn't get pregnant and um, uh, but it was about three years or two or three years after we moved to Brunswick so we'd been married maybe four or five years at this time we were at a conference and in between two of the sessions actually where the women's conference is going to be Calvary Chapel uh, Stone Mountain outside of Atlanta um, there's a women's conference next month if you're interested in going get with Kelly she'll get you the information about it but um, we were at a conference there a pastor's conference and um It was in between one of the sessions. A guy walked behind us, and Kelly and I were just sitting there by ourselves. And he walked up, kind of walked by, and he looked at us. And and then he walked up, and he was like, hey, um, I think the Lord wants me to tell you something. And we were like, uh, all right. Uh, And when people say that, you're always like, all right, let's see how this goes, you know. Um, But I also grew up in a Pentecostal church, so, you know, is what it is. So um, it's not unfamiliar with that sort of thing. Anyway, so he said, hey, uh, do you guys have any kids? And we were like, no, we don't have any kids. He didn't. I mean, we had been longing to have children. And um, and he said, I think the Lord wants me to tell you that you're going to have kids and that they're going to um, serve the Lord. He's like, I don't know how many. One, two, three, four, five. And Kelly's eyes are getting bigger. <laughs> so, you know. And I could be mistaken, but if I remember correctly, he, as he was counting, he stopped at five. And um, it wasn't for, I think, four years, five years later that that we got pregnant with our first son who was miscarried. Um, And then you ask the questions like, is this it, Lord? You know, it took this long. Um, And then our even, so our first was miscarried and then our last was miscarried and Kelly's not able to have children anymore. Um, And now God's allowed us to have one other baby, you know, to take care of the last year and and maybe another one in a week or two, <laughs> you know. So if that's the case, then it'll be five, you know. I just you look back on things and you're like, hmm, interesting. You just never you never know, right? So only reason why I say that is to say you should pray and you should not lose heart. That's why.
Um, last thing is that Jesus said your faith has made you well. So when you pray, believe that God hears you because he's a rewarder. Believe that he's a rewarder, that he answers prayer, and he does. Uh, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your um, patience and for your love with us, for us, and, and I pray that you would, um, <laughs> that you'd continue to give us freedom and joy in yourself and build in us a, a solid foundation so that we can can walk through life in a way that is not like the craziness happening around us where we're tossed around with all of the chaos happening. Lord, would you teach us to depend on you? You are sure, you are sure and steadfast, a solid foundation, a solid rock. And our hope is in you. Lord, you always keep your word and we praise you for it. We praise you, God. Even when we don't understand things, help us to pray and not to lose heart. And maybe even more so as we see the day approaching, whatever that means for us. It could just be our own death. But you promised to raise our bodies from the dead. And if there's any hope, I think that a world that has been riddled with death the last year needs, it certainly seems to me to be that hope. That there's more than just this life. Lord, let us not forget. <laughs> Please. Let us seek how we can care for and take care of one another and use our lives in, in ways that are helpful and valuable for whatever time we have here for the benefit of others. Please help. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, gang, it's late. I appreciate your patience with me. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious with you. And the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace, you guys.